Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Step into the This is Macabre Grimoire with Airy Show, Travis Nye, and Robert Maley. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. William Shakespeare, Hamlet. Hey everybody, welcome to Macabre Grimoire, Chapter 9. I am your host, Erie Show, here with my fellow co-hosts, Robert Mailing and Travis Nye. And this episode, we are going to be talking about near-death experiences. That kind of makes sense on the intro, because that's kind of depressing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Even reading it, I, or hearing you read it, I'm like, oh... We like, just brought it down. My grandma. Just bringing it down. Now. Oh, gee. <laughs> Wait, did your grandma have an have a near death experience? No, she's actually still alive, but it's coming. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> you gotta prepare for it. I'm yeah. not dead yet. Anyway, you will be soon. <laughs> Close enough. So yeah. So a near-death experience, Mm -hmm. uh, for those, for the uninitiated, is a personal experience associated with death or impending death. Such experiences may encompass a variety of sensations, including detachment from the body, feelings of levitation, total serenity, security, warmth, the experience of absolute disillusion, and the presence of light. Uh, Near-death experiences are recognized as part of a transcendent as part of some transcendental and religious beliefs in the afterlife. Because often uh, these near-death experiences will, and we'll get to that, will actually reflect the... Uh, while they will reflect the religion of the person having the experience, but at the same time there's a whole bunch of universal like beats or themes in a near-death experience yes. that like every culture has. But it... But it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So as as we go here, uh, the other thing is that uh, I'm going to run down some different models that have been used to describe NEDs and used by uh, especially neuroscience to try and suggest uh, a subjective uh, explanation for what causes uh, an, NE, an NDE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of these theories and they sound very scientific. However, uh, I would be quick to point out that none of them have ever been actually in my in my digging here fully like scientifically proven or been like fully repeatable in a study where you could consistently consistently be like, oh, this is not, uh, or this is definitely what causes it. Right, because you can't put spirit in a box. Just yeah. saying. Can't put spirit in a box. This is actually going to be an interesting topic because I'm right now I'm researching for my own production. Uh, things that kind of induce fear. Ah. Mm. So that'll be good. De- death is a big catch-all for a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this field is not without its hoaxes, because I I tend to be very open-minded about these, but you oh, should yeah. always keep in mind that uh, there are con artists out there. The mm-hmm. most famous one and most recent one that I know of is from in 2015, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, A True Story, published in 2010 by yeah, okay. Kevin and Alex Malarkey. 
Now, when you know it says a true story, that they're trying to, like, get you to and, believe them. And when his last name is Malarkey. Yes! And, I, and I did not pick up on the last name until just now. Are you serious? I remember. Because I didn't notice it until I was reading it out loud. And now, now that I see it in the notes and read it out loud, I'm like, holy crap, their names are even Malarkey. I know! Like, how, like I remember when this, first hap- when this first came out, I was like, when the story broke, I was like, oh my god, like, how could you not know that this was fake because of their last name and the, t- the whole thing that they have, that they actually put in there a true story <laughs> yeah it's, but the common publisher tactic you know mm-hmm. it's like well also a po- common liar thing too is like this is true i'm telling you the truth that you have to believe me believe me, me. Mm-hmm. Believe, believe me, me. yes uh, okay let's not go there no but let's i know see. where you're getting that from yes <laughs> so there's there's some common elements to near-death experiences uh researchers have identified the common elements that define a near-death experience uh and the general features include impressions of being one outside outside one's physical body, visions of deceased relatives and religious figures, mm-hmm. uh, transcendence or egotic, egotic, or, yeah, egotic or spatio spatio temporal boundaries. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm really uh, good at words. Uh, Complicated words. I should have specified. (laughs) Many common elements have been reported, although a person's interpretation of these events often corresponds with their cultural, philosophical, or religious beliefs in experiencing it. For example, in the USA, where 46% of the population believes in guardian angels, Mm -hmm. they will often be identified as angels or deceased loved ones. Whereas Hindus will often identify the uh, figures that are with them as messengers of the god of death. Hmm. So here's here's the like big laundry list of common things. Not now there is no hard fast rule because I I read through a whole bunch of just anecdotal like near death experiences, oh, sure. uh, and uh, a lot of them ha- have missing a few of them. But here's some like big points that seem to correspond with a whole crapload of them: a sense or awareness of being dead, a sense of peace, well being, uh, painlessness, positive emotions, and a sense of removal from the world. An out-of-body experience is really common, but as we'll get to in one of the explanations, is not always the case. Right. Uh, let's see. The tunnel experience. This is the one that, uh, in the picture we're going to use for this episode, is a, a painting by Harmonious Bosch, uh, Ascent of the Blessed, that has a uh, you know a deceased person traveling through a tunnel of light, and it is like dead on what I think of when I think of the the tunnel that they'd be like traveling through. And I've even seen this used in like different religious things and stuff like that, describing what the tunnel would be like. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that painting, especially that top part with the tunnel is what we'll use, but the tunnel and that bright light and the warm light being a good, safe place uh, and being at peace is a, a super common thread of NEDs or NDEs. Pardon me. No, fine. Yeah, encountering beings of of light that can, are possibly deceased loved ones, uh, receiving or yeah, receiving a life review, commonly referred to as seeing one's life flash before one's eyes. Now, this one in particular, I wanted to note because uh, my great grandfather had a near death experience, oh. uh, 
and getting getting into when when we get into the explanations and some of the theories about what caused these, uh, this is part of what throws off the cultural inference theory, where it's just like people hear about it, and so then that kind of like alien abductions, where oh. it's like once those happened, like almost and everybody described the Greys, suddenly everyone describes their aliens like the mm-hmm. Greys, stuff like that. Whereas with near death experiences, they were not. Uh, Get, I'm getting ahead of us, but they weren't really covered in depth until like the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's like 75 is the first like major article about it that sure. went national and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but my great great grandfather, he was fishing in a lake in Minnesota, and they were using it, this would have been like the 20s or earlier, and they were fishing in a lake with dynamite. And they, so what they were doing is they'd taken a stick of dynamite, well, dynamite with a long fuse, they'd stick it in a jar and with a rock, and then they'd throw it off, and, you know, that's how they were fishing. That- and he was the only one in his group of, like, four people that could swim, so he'd jump out of the boat and swim out, and he'd gather up all the fish and throw them in the boat. Well, they had one that didn't go off that was like a dud or whatever, and so they waited and waited, and it was like, I guess it's not going <clears> to <throat> go off. So then they set off another one, he jumped in the water... And then the, the first one, the like earlier one, went off while he was in the water and blasted him out. Shit! He's and uh, the only things I because I was super young, but I, you know, and my dad's retold it and stuff. It's just like one of the things we all remembered was him talking about. It's like that thing they say about your life flashing before your eyes and floating and all that. He's like, it's true. He's like, I saw everything, and I saw when I was a little kid, and I Damn. saw my mom and dad and. He saw relatives that were, like, long past and stuff like that. Yeah, so he had a really in-depth... Whoa! And, and described it with all these hallmarks that we're talking about. Yeah. Way before... And this is not a guy who was, like, super following the media oh, or, yeah. like, anything like that. Uh, just... This is a super rural farm kid just from... doing... Busy doing his own thing and living his life. Like, not really yep. paying attention to anybody. He, and, and not, like, a science fiction person or even a novel reader right. back then. So it's just, like... You know where would he have gotten these ideas from? But this is you know like what what he reported to us, and so yeah. Whenever I hear someone say your life flashes before your eyes, I always think of. Uh, and the other thing is that he's the one I'm named for. Oh. So it, it was he's Robert Richard Bailing, the the first one. Oh. So, uh, another one is approaching a border or a decision by oneself, and. Uh, Others report that they are forced to return to their body, often accompanied by a reluctance to return to their body. Like, it's not time yet or something yeah. like that. I've actually heard of this, too, when people are doing past life regressions. Yep. And then if you also regress to a soul level, which is, like, one step beyond just going to a past life, they're actually going to, like, your actual soul and, like, where your soul exists. And um, people have reported that there's that reluctance to return because they're in such an area of just like euphoria and peace that to return back to your body and back to your unconsciousness is very difficult because you don't want to leave that. So, and I had a friend that she does that as for her, for a living. And she's had, she had one client where it was hard to get her to come back. And she was actually like legitimately scared that this woman wasn't going to be able to come back into her body. Wow. Yeah. So if, yeah, it's, yeah. Let's see. Uh, and then another one is then the sudden the experience of suddenly finding yourself back inside of your your body. Uh, getting into some of the cultural aspects we talked about earlier, uh, this Gregory uh, Shushan published an analysis of afterlife beliefs from five different ancient civilizations. 
Old and Middle Kingdom Egypt, Samaria, Old Babylonia, Mesopotamia, Vedic India, pre-Buddhist China, and pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. He compared them with historical and contemporary reports of near-death experiences and shamanic uh, afterlife journeys. He says he found uh, similarities across time, place, and culture that could not be explained by coincidence. He also found elements that were specific to cultures. He concludes that uh, some form from uh, the mutual influence between experiences of an afterlife and culture and probably influence one another uh, through you know, what they inherit and in turn influences in their individual uh, near-death experiences. So I, I guess the I slaughtered the wording of that, but basically the takeaway there is that you know, someone from India might see agents of the god of death, someone from America might see guardian angels, but they're still going to have those common hallmarks right? Very strangely consistently across the board. So this like, is a lot what I experience in like my line of work is that everybody has these um, identifiers of things, but essentially they're just, they're the same thing. It's just the title that you give to it and the meaning that you give to it. So, yeah. so um, like you said, like, dif- like somebody in like, you know, India will say, well, this is like the God of death. Whereas like somebody in America will say like, well, that's my guardian angel, but they're essentially the same being is what they're talking about. It's just the title that you give to it. And so even like when I do some of the work that I, you know, when I'm like interpreting like signs and symbols, you know, it's hard to like, it's like if I'm seeing like a pitchfork, I'm trying to put my own meaning to a pitchfork behind it. But like to you, it like you understand what it means, you know, like it just I don't have like, a, um, what is that? What's the word I'm looking for? Like a reference point. To, yeah. like, to, like, relate to it. So I'm just like, I don't know what I'm seeing. Like, I guess it's a pitchfork. But really, it's like, no, it's a trident. You know what I mean? Like, that's how, like, people, like, relate the different things. It's just based on your own life experiences. This is how they're experiencing it. So that's why I think a lot of people are like, it's, it's like, such a religious experience for them. But it's like, well, me, I, I feel like people are experiencing the same thing. It's just what they are defining for themselves based on their life experiences. Did I just... No, you're fine. I'm just skimming notes here. You should just do, like, a blog, like, an inkblot test, but only showing, like, real tangible items just to see how people translate them. I should. I should. Like, show, like, an outline of a car and see how people... Right, right. ...translate that or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I had a reading that I did a couple days ago, and I saw in my vision... Like, in my mind's eye, I saw a truck, but I should have specified pickup truck not just said truck and i specifically saw a pickup truck and i don't know why i didn't say it how i saw it and i that difference of me just saying truck and not specifying was meant a lot more to the sitter than it did to me so i should have specifically said pickup truck and then she would have been like oh and Yeah. yeah so yeah it's so funny how people are just so like Devil in the details. Yes, it's so yeah. crazy. Yeah, that one leaves me scratching my head because I'd just be like, a truck, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, if I say truck, you're thinking pickup truck yeah. or semi-truck, you know? It would depend on the context, but if unless you were out on a farm and it was like harvest season or something, I'd be like, pickup truck. Right. right. So if I'm doing a reading for you and I'm like, okay, so you're, you know, you have, you, there's a male spirit, he's crossed over, you know, and, and so he's, you know, he's telling me that he's been gone for a long time and he died and he died quickly and you'd be like, oh, that's my grandfather. It's like, okay, well, he's showing me a picture of a truck and you would think. Pick, pick him up, up truck. truck. Yeah. See? So it was kind of like that. And so. 
they're just like, no, I don't know anything about a truck. And I'm like, Ugh. so that's kind of, yeah, <laughs> sorry, tangent. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, so there are a lot of theories. And so I, I have lots of notes on them here, but we're going to really like give you a quick flyover version of them because some of them really get into the weeds and really exhaustive. But like I said, none of them have been like explicitly proven. Uh, the first theory is obviously the spiritual one in which, you know, people say is like maybe it's an out-of-body experience or, you know, people actually seeing, you know, the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And the, let's see, there have been five different studies on this. Here, here's the limitations with that one. It's five different studies have been carried out to test the accuracy of the out-of-body experience mm -hmm. parts of this. This is what you were talking about, Ari, in the messenger, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where they would give unusual targets in locations that were only someone who was having like an NDE would be able to see, like up by the ceiling and stuff like that. They like put clocks like clocks you know, and weird signs and trinkets and stuff because what it what they would do is like during surgery, uh, they would just have these items in the surgical operating room up above the lights. So their theory is that if your spirit is going to physically float outside of your body, then if you are if your spirit is floating up above then you should be able to have a different perspective on the room because a lot of people report being able to see the perspective of like the surgery and like what's going on in the room and have like a different perspective but there's no way to prove it so one way to prove it would be to put something that's odd and out of place in an area that nobody else can see and what good place to do that is on top of the lights so then they would place like clocks they would place um like i said just different oddball things or signs and stuff so then they would ask these individuals Things that would hopefully they would know catch their attention yeah it. yeah and so then they'd be like well did you like what else did you see like and then if they didn't describe that particular object then it'd be like well and this is the part that irritates me is like if they didn't say that particular object like i saw a pink bow then it's like oh well then i guess your whole experience bullshit like that didn't really happen like you're just fabricating that based off of like maybe what you've seen on tv yeah and there are some researchers in here that were like super careful to like not say that that right you don't dismiss a near-death experience even if it's uh even if it is a product purely of like internally of your mind and subconscious oh, and stuff. sure it's like it shouldn't be dismissed just because it's a, it's not well actual, it's a like, super profound experience, experience. Yeah, so and, how, yeah. and they have a major profound impact on mm -hmm. the people that have them uh and then, so, like, they did the experiment you were talking about yes. where they had 12 patients reported leaving their bodies in, the, in those surgeries. Uh, but, unfortunately, none of them could describe the visual targets. Although, uh, this is a small sample, the failure uh, of purported out-of-body experiences to describe the hidden targets raises questions about the accuracy of the anecdotal reports described above. Uh, and my note here is that, uh, you know, obviously 12 people is not a scientific it's not a uh, sample by any no, shapers. By no means is that. <laughs> but no. it is. But it is interesting. That, oh yeah. That you know that they did not see it, um, and that and we'll get to that later. There's one report where they did a study where it's like half the people that described the surgery go like from outside of their body. Half of them got right what equipment was being used on them. Yes. And half of them didn't. Mm. Um, let's see. So. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people who dismiss NDE researchers as pseudoscientific. Yes. Uh, and they're, 
their big worry there is, which obviously is like a confirmation bias kind of thing, where it's like, where they're looking for a destination, and then how can I make the data get me to that destination? Right. Which is a problem. Um, and something else I was hearing about this, something I was listening to on the radio, it wasn't about near-death experiences, but it was talking about something just like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was reading Phenomenon by... Uh, uh, same woman that wrote like Area Fifty One and a few other uh, books that I've referenced before, and that are like very good books on like this topic. And she was talking about how it, now this book in particular was about like uh, MK Ultra and like remote viewing oh, and stuff sure, like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it said the biggest thing that the Department of Defense had trouble with uh, in their research was that the only people they can find are either a true believers who have just, like, ridiculously bad confirmation bias. So the Pentagon officials are just kind of like, I don't know if I trust their data. And then the, it's like there's only them, and then there's diehard skeptics who are just like, I won't even entertain this. I won't write a paper about it. I won't do a study about it because it's so ridiculous. I won't even entertain it. And so the Pentagon is just kind of like, so how do we test this? Right. Because either you won't touch it or you'll get all over it and then... You'll like, mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like uh, a little bit of that with this, where it's just kind of like, because it's such a hot button and controversial, it's just like, you got researchers who are super, super like, oh, this is definitely a thing. Yes. And it is amazing and blah, blah, blah. And then you've got people who are just like, well, no matter what, it has to be, you know... It has to be all in their head. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But we just need to figure out how it's all in their head. Mm-hmm, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Seems like both have picked the destination, and now they need to find the data to back their destination. Right. Which is not good science. No. And so, uh, you know, getting into the science a little bit here, there's a bunch of psychological explanations. And of the scientific explanations, I found a lot of these to be the, uh, the weakest. Because, um, like, the depersonalization personalization model doesn't really work that great because uh, people that suffer them usually uh, it's very unpleasant anxiety, panic, emptiness, stuff like that whereas NDEs are basically the exact opposite of that Mm -hmm. yeah Um, let's see expectancy model this is the one I talked about a little bit with my uh, great grandfather oh yeah it's just like it's wish fulfillment or they've probably read from outside sources about it. Yes. But you look at somebody like from ancient Samaria or my grandfather in the tw- 1920s or great grandfather in the 1920s. And it's just like these guys were not, you know, like sitting around watching Leonard, a uh, special Leonard Nimoy on right. search of about near death experiences. This was not in their wheelhouse. Right. Let's see. So we t- cover that one. Basically, to me, like if anybody's like super duper religious and there's and they and they talk about a near death experience, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know about you. Like I'm I'm a I'm a little bit quick to dismiss like their experience, just because like they I think they want so badly to see angels because like they need that physical confirmation that that what they've held so dearly to their hearts their entire life their religion that they followed to a T that they now that they've had this experience and I've seen angels, it's kind of like have you or are you are you sure you weren't experiencing some sort of like ocular you know phenomenon and that's where i get a little bit suspicious like as soon as somebody mentions jesus i'm like i'm out okay. and this is coming from me so that i think that's pretty significant but uh 
another psychological one is the disassociation model, mm-hmm. which is just that something bad is happening, so your mind is just trying to disassociate from it. But I found this one to be super weak, and they didn't even bother to give like a counter argument to it mm-hmm. because it's just it's so like uh, it's just it might as well be just saying oh, they just didn't they wanted to do this, so their brain did this. Oh, that's not science. There's no, no right. like what huh? Right. And then like uh, birth model, which is saying that like the tunnel and the light are it's like your dying brain is trying to reimagine birth, the like most traumatic. <laughs> big thing that happened to you but as many people will point out among other things like with c-sections and a bunch of other stuff you wouldn't have experienced it you don't actually remember it etc right et right right um did they talk about does the article talk about the shutting down of the occipital lobe and like why you would see a tunnel of light and that's why you see light i remember uh hearing about that a little bit i don't know it, it might get more into the uh i don't want to like jump on it if you're no, if it's in here it, we'll get these are the psychological ones oh okay sorry now we're going to get more into like the chemical gotcha. and okay. mechanical cool, cool, cool. ones so the physiological ones uh so so new yeah oh my god okay neuroscientist olaf blanc and sebastian de Diguez, 2009, from the École Polytechnique Federale de la Suisse, Switzerland, proposed a brain-based model with two types of NDEs. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so there's one that's due to the bilateral frontal occipital, but primarily right hemispheric brain. See, yeah, we're getting into the weeds here, but basically there's... I can th- talk about this. this. Oh, go for it. Okay. So, okay. So, type 1 NDEs are due to bilateral, frontal, and occipital. So, your frontal lobe is, like, right up in your, is right up on the front of your forehead, and your occipital is right in the back, like, where you feel that, like, bump in the back of your head. So, if you want to put your hand on the back of your head, and you can actually feel that bump. You're excited about I am this very excited. I talk about like, a lot of brain stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure that was all one word. <laughs> <laughs> and then it continues to say, but predominantly right hemispheric brain damage affecting the right temporal parietal junction. So if you want to put your hand on the right hand on the right side of your brain or the right side of your head and characterized by out of body experiences, altered sense of time, sensations of flying, lightness, vexion and flying. So the right side of your brain is the part of you that's like very imaginative and creative and so it's it's basically all of your senses and that's why you feel that altered sense of time and sensations of flying, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's why they're trying to categorize it into that category of experiences. The type 2 of near-death experiences are also due to bilateral frontal and occipital, which is basically the front of your brain and the back of your brain. So the front of your brain process is... Oh my gosh. Okay, so the front of the brain is like your thinking and the back of your brain is like is how you see. So like these two are kind of like um, in... Like, they're kind of conflicting right now. But predominantly left hemispheric, so that's like your thinking side of your... think that Like how you think and how you process like... Um, the more physical part of yourself. So um, they're talking about, then they're talking about, let's see here, affecting the left parietal junction characterized by feeling a presence, meeting and communication with spirits, seeing of glowing bodies as well as voices, sounds and familiar um, music without vexion. So that's kind of like how you experience and how you see things. And so that's, so like, the so you're basically your brain is just having like this moment of just like this incredible just like electrical storm is going on inside and that's how they're trying to um, scientifically classify these experiences so so like an overload between different hemispheres yep yep and so but that's kind of why they're saying like like I believe 
in what you're saying has happened to you, but here's a scientific explanation of what's going on in your brain and why you think that. So a lot of scientists will say that, like, me and what I do is basically my brain malfunctioning, and, like, that's why you feel like you have um, feelings that you know things or that you're communicating with spirit and that type of thing. But um, there's, also a, there's also a large part of it, too, where it's unexplainable. Um, so then... Can I do this last paragraph here? Yeah. Okay. So they suggest that damage to the bilateral occipital cor- cortex may lead to vision. And the, uh, the occipital cortex is actually the outside of your occipital cortex in the back of your brain. Um, may lead to visual features of near-death experiences such as seeing tunnel or lights, damage to unilateral or bilateral temporal lobe structures that's on the side of your head, like by your ears, and such as the hippocampus and amygdala. So the hippocampus actually goes over the top section of your brain and... Um, amygdala oh my gosh i'm having <laughs> having a brain fart um may lead to emotional experiences memory flashbacks or life or life review so your hippocampus is actually um like how you feel and experience things and that's why it's affecting that and that's why they explain it that way they concluded that future neuroscientific studies are likely to reveal the neuroanatomical basis of the nde which will lead to the demystification of the subject without needing paranormal exp- explanation so they're trying to say basically like this is how science explains it so just gtfo but <laughs> but you still have like well you know we kind of exist like we're all energetic bodies and our ener- you know our energy experiences life in different ways um than just scientifical so you can say that yes like science has an explanation but there's also you know your energy of your person and they've never been able to like prove it they can't conducively in a lab trigger this and exactly ethical reasons exactly exactly trigger this and then go okay yep that's clearly what's right let's see so so uh, some of the limitations of the neuroanatomical model uh is that uh it remains spec okay what we were just saying it remains Mm -hmm. speculative because there's a lack of data right uh Writes that although some of the neural 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 neuroanatomical models proposed may serve to explain NDEs and pathways through which they are expressed, they remain speculative at this stage since they have not been tested with empirical studies. So yeah. So yeah, and then we get into the neurochemical one, which I thought there's one of these that I'm looking for that was interesting, uh, like. You know, so there was there's the talk about the endorphins being released and stuff like that. But they get into the uh, problem with that is that it would produce a lot more negative uh, hallucinations mm-hmm. than than what NDEs tend right, to, right. to be. Euphorical versus like uh, panic and pain. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see. And then there's like apoxia and anoxia, like low oxygen level based ones. Yep. Uh, the multifactorial is they they just mentioned it could be some of this stuff combined with some of the physical neurological stuff right. we were just talking about mm-hmm. combined with the psychological. Right. Um, let's see. So yeah, the the hypoxia thing they kind of threw that out because uh, they talked about all these test cases that they've done with pilots mm. and what pilots physically experience is nothing like it and. DE, as far as, like, rather than being serene and calm, they're usually, like, flailing around and almost, like, seizuring and Mm -hmm. stuff like that when they have it. So, uh, yeah, so they're not sure on that one. Uh, Yeah, same thing that I just said Mm -hmm. is written there. Uh, Altered blood gas levels. 
it's difficult to interpret since NDEs uh, have been observed both with increased levels and decreased levels of carbon dioxide. So, yeah, so the gas levels thing is really hard for them to... To measure. To, to pinpoint and then, yeah. Yeah, so basically, like, science is just trying to bring you down from trying to say that you that you met Jesus and you came back to tell to tell your story yeah. all about it. And, that, and those, are, those are the explanations... Or the attempts at explanations are the best they can come up with, anyway. Right, right. Uh, you guys mentioned you had some uh, possible stories or uh, things with near-death experiences. I want to hear yours, Travis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, like, so there I was. Since hand, you've been so quiet. Hand, handcuffed under an aircraft carrier in a barrel, trying to do this escape act. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was, Robert. That is amazing. Uh, needless to say, I did not survive that one. Oh. So... <laughs> So here I am in my near-death experience floating in purgatory. You look good. You look good for a ghost. You know, I don't really wrinkle and age as much nice. anymore. It's good. Good for you. Yeah, I try to stay <laughs> hydrated, but can't hold anything. Just false, Yeah. Um, so anyway, my near-death experience, I consider a near-death experience because, like, you know, I could have died. So that's near-death, right? Yeah, that's close okay, enough. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it was more of like a in the moment thing. Like I don't really have a huge recollection of the in between from beginning to end. Okay. Um, all I know is I was, uh, doing demolition work in Milwaukee and we were downtown and there's this huge, like six story building and we were basically gutting the interior, which had happened. And yep. then the two walls we had taken out on the exterior. So it was just a huge, at this point we got it down like three stories. It was a three story L shape mm -hmm. essentially on the corner. And whenever they do construction like that in a big city, they put this huge, like, eight-foot fence around the perimeter of the sidewalk so people just don't walk by the right. construction. So I was in there, and my boss was super tight, um, and we were just picking bricks that were still good to palletize and then oh, sell. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay, so we were doing that, and the guy running the excavator swung the bucket and hit the wall, <laughs> and, like, all this dust fell on me, Ooh. and the wall shook, and I pointed at him, like, Watch it, bud. Like, that is no joke. You need to be careful. Yeah. So, like, 20 minutes later, he did it again, and the wall was swaying super hard. And I'm, like, maybe five feet away from it. What? And so I took off in a dead sprint, and the wall had completely collapsed. <gasps> and I have no idea how to do it because I ain't got ups. I'm a white guy. And, like, somehow I had... Just not a fast runner. Let's just... Let's keep this PC. <laughs> PC. Um... <laughs> You're yeah, not a fast runner. I'm not a fast runner, there nor am go. I a high jumper. Um, so let's say, like, I cleared this eight-foot fence in time that it actually pushed the fence out. Jesus. And I rode the fence into the street. <gasps> wow. Whoa. Like, so, like, however tall a three-story building is, right. like, I outran it before it collapsed. Dang. So that's, like, a matter of, like, five seconds, if yeah. that. Yeah. So that's, like, 60 feet in five seconds. Like, I was a 10-second car. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but in that time period, like, there, like, I have no recollection of, like, what my physical body had done. Like, oh. Like, that, I mean, all I remember is it, like, starting to collapse, the crumbling noise, and then I'm on the fence in a huge, like, dust cloud. So it was literally, like, your fight or flight kicked in. You clearly it, 
fl- flighted. Right. And I'd like to say I, I think, fought for my life. It's a little bit more masculine. I would say, like, your autonomous <laughs> system kicked in, and basically your survival instinct was just like, GTFO, let's go, dude. And, like, your adrenaline just went, zip, and they got you out of there. Right. But, so the guy with the loader that hit it, yeah. or any other people, were they hurt? Or? No, he wasn't hurt, because, of course, the wall fell outwards towards my direction, which the smart sure. move would have been run towards the wall, <laughs> because there's a garage door that was no longer there. Yeah. That I could have just bypassed, but, of course, my mind isn't like, let's run towards the collapsing wall. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> run of away from it. Uh, and so that was definitely, like, I've had a couple other crazy experiences, but that is definitely one that stands out in my mind is, like, I physically feel like my body took over and I just kind of blacked out from it. Like, it was... Yeah, you have no recollection of, like, where your consciousness was at that point. Yeah, time. like, I'm just like, go. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of took over. Like, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I don't really have the flashbacks and stuff because I really feel like it wasn't me that made my body take off. Oh, interesting. Like, you don't even think it was... Like, my mind would have never said, all right, I need to run, I need to take two steps, make sure I shuffle real quick so I get the jump position, and then clear that fence. Oh, interesting. My mind would have been like, yep, I'm screwed, let's hope it don't make it to the fence. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no way in my mind would have said, like, I'm going over that fence. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's That's interesting. Yeah. And you're just like, now you just have this experience, and you're just like, I don't know. I lived, I guess. Yeah, like, here I am, tell tell somebody else my tale. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't even know. Because, like, it wasn't like you're outside of your body. Like, you didn't actually, like, see yourself outside of your body. No. Doing this. You didn't have, like, any communication with anybody. It was just, like, all of a sudden, you had this altered state of consciousness where you just weren't. I was on the fence when it was done. That's all I know. He was like, well, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Like, it was, it was crazy, for sure. Have you, like, tried to, like, think over that event? Because, I mean, there is, like, psychological experiences where, like, your brain basically just, like, shuts off its recording mechanism. Yeah. And it just goes into, like, it just yeah. goes into a mode and just, like, you have no recollection of, like, anything. Yeah. I mean, because it wasn't, you know, like, an open field for me to run on. Like, there right. was, like, rubble that I would have had to, like, piled right. over that. Right, right, right. If it was a perfectly made, like... Did any track. witnesses see you actually, like, sprint? Or, like, they were just like, man, that You know, was... like, after the dust settled, like, traffic had stopped, obviously. Because, I mean, it's yeah. a big, big city. Yeah, yeah. And, like, everybody's, like, out of their car looking at me. Right. Like, are you okay? And then my dad was there because he worked. Oh. And he's like, what? And, like, this dust settled and seen me there. And then he went after the guy running the machine. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair. So, yeah. But, yeah, like, I was like, holy crap. So... Because that'd be interesting if somebody actually saw you. So it's possible this is kind of a, f- a fun interpretation of it, I think. Like, maybe it was like a wrinkle in time. I'd like to like, think I nightcrawler didn't just... <laughs> yeah, right? That's kind of what I kind of think, Like, too. I'm going to go with that because that's yeah. pretty B.A. Yeah, so. exactly. Nice. Yeah. Because, I mean, nobody saw it. Nobody saw you. You don't know how it happened. All of a sudden, you're in point A to point B. Yeah. Because, like, people um, talk about, like, doing a form of, like, time travel where, like, basically time actually... Um, stretches out or gets or basically gets quicker. So like, uh, there's times, and you could do this like when you're going to work. Even like there's so like I really wanted to get to work on time. Mm. It was a snowstorm, and I pro- and I left at my normal time. And based off the snow that we had, it would have taken me an extra five to ten minutes to get there. I actually arrived an extra ten minutes ahead of the my normal time yeah. when I left at my regular time. So it was just like. I didn't speed. I was driving slower, but yet I still arrived 10 minutes ahead of time. So it's right. like, 
how that happened. So maybe it's something like that. I wonder yeah. if there was less traffic. No, normal, nope. It was ex- it was. <laughs> Don't like... be scientific, Robert. Okay, but Let no, us I, live I, in our I moments. get that. But it, there's no on even on a normal day. I don't make it ten ten minutes ahead of time. I'm always like right at the buzzer or a little bit before the buzzer. You know, so that's maybe that's one way to think of it. There you go. I just an idea. Just tossing it out there. So near death experiences. Harry, do you have any? Uh... I don't have any NDEs. Um, I've had like meditation experiences where I felt more like outside of my body, um, which is more into like the actual production, which we've kind of, which we've already covered. Episode one, in case you're interested. Yep. Um, or chapter one, sorry. Anyways, um, I did read. A, I have read quite a few books though on people's own experiences and just noticed like common mm-hmm. themes as far as like experiences that they have and it's like, you know, that's where I've kind of gotten to the whole tangent of I don't think that this is like a, one particular religious experience for a person. It's I think there's a common theme where we're all kind of going to the same place. It's just your life experiences is defining what it is that you're seeing. So two books that I read. Um, were um heaven is for real which i don't which if you're not familiar with it's basically about how this little boy at four years old um maybe he was three doesn't matter he's super young way too young to die right um he has like this massive infection from appendicitis and he's in the hospital and he ends up dying for a little while on the operating table well then his dad like they, the parents don't know at this point in time that he's deceased. So he just starts, the parents are just like praying, like the dad is like praying and praying and praying and just praying to God saying like, please, you know, bring my son back. Please, please, please. Now here's, this is where the, the father, what he does for a living, he's a pastor. So it's kind of like, mm, that's where I get kind of weird about it. But anyways, um, and the little boy actually gets, is revived and he's, he makes it out of surgery and he actually ends up thriving. He's like, I don't know, he's probably like 15 years old right now. So um, after this after this experience in the hospital, the, the doctors don't, because I don't think like he clinically died, but like the little boy was definitely outside of his body because the little boy later mentions about how he went up to meet Jesus and how, about what heaven looks like. And he's just like mentioning this in bits and pieces. And the dad, as, as he's retelling the story, says about how he was super careful to not like guide him in the storytelling, like not to like plant stuff. So then he would like misremember or like misstate things. He was always, it was always whenever he recounted this, he would just let, let his kid talk. So, um, trying to like figure out so what the little boy says he says i saw you on your knees in this room and like he described the room praying to jesus that that i would be that i would be safe and that's when jesus told me that i needed to go back to my body and back to mom you know to to, you know mommy and daddy and so he was just like there's no way that his son would have even known about that because why why would you tell your three-year-old or four-year-old son that by the way i was in the waiting room praying for you to like come back you know like be safe like you're not gonna tell them that because first of all that'd probably scare the shit out of them second of all they're not gonna understand i mean they might understand a little bit but not you know to the extent so he also mentioned um he knew about that there was a um 
like they had had they were pregnant but they miscarried and so when he got to heaven um he gets hugged right away by this girl who's just hugging him so tight and she's just so happy to see him and she has like dark curly hair and describes this girl in full detail and then that's and she said that he was her sister and he's he's just like I don't have a sister. Like, I don't have an older sister. I just have, you know, my other, you know, sister or whatever. And, like, they've never told him that, you know, that they had a child that they miscarried. So there's, like, little things, like, here and there that, like, there's no way that he could have known at such a young age. And then the other thing, like, he describes um, that is consistent with other people that have had, like, heaven experiences is like what Jesus actually looks like so there's this painter who she was in her teens and she had a she had an experience where she said you know went to heaven or whatever and there's like a painting of like what Jesus looks like yeah yeah so it's like kind of interesting so that's that's that book and then the other one I read was 90 minutes in heaven and again the guy's a pastor and he gets into a car accident and like he's actually dead like on the scene of the car accident. You really need to look into the high risk lifestyles of these pastors. I know. <laughs> seems like a dangerous occupation. It does seem like a very dangerous occupation. So basically he's he's pronounced dead on the scene. I mean, they have the blue tarp over his car and everything, but because he was like coming to or going to a we'll just say a pastor convention because it was like other, <laughs> that's essentially what he was going to was some sort of retreat where a bunch of other pastors were there. Um, one of the persons going to the convention recognized his car because they were good friends. And, the, and he, he pulled over and demanded to the EMT staff, like I need to pray over my friend's body. Like I just need to, like, I understand he's deceased, but it's my job to minister to him. And so they allowed him to go into the car and be with him and pray over his body. And he prayed furiously he says for like i don't know 20 30 minutes just constantly just praying as hard as he could and then all of a sudden he comes back to life which was like impressive i think um i'm not a doctor but it sounds impressive and then he he explained like his whole experience about how he saw you know old you know people that had passed on they're happy to see him the angels voices the singing etc etc um describing things that like he could not have known with you know without you know being there so it's just kind of interesting those experiences so those are a couple books you can probably check into but um but that's besides the point so i'd almost like to say when i was younger like three years old yeah i kind of had an out-of-body experience yeah um similar to what we're talking about uh, because it's weird, because in, in a previous chapter we talked about, uh, like, reoccurring dreams and dream interpretation. But this was actually a dream uh, that I had reoccurring over and over. Yeah. But it felt real, uh, where basically I seen a toy, in this case it was a yo-yo traveling on the floor, um, unrolling the string, leaving, like, a trail of the yo-yo string behind. Yep. Leading into my room, where I could would see myself and what I was doing and stuff at that moment. Mm. But I tell this to my parents, and it all originated because I was like, yeah, I remember that house. And, like, well, you, we moved out of there when you were three. And I could, like, get as detailed as, like, the pictures on the wall, like, the color carpet, where the furniture was oh, at, my sure. room, yeah, yeah. everything. Like, my toy, like, my entire room layout, the entire house, like, to a T, perfect detail. And without ever having photos of this room or anything like that. And mm -hmm. it's that three-year-old mind that, you know, still remembers those things. Right, right, right. Yep. And that's honestly my interpretation of a near-death experience, like that out-of-body and everything like that is, to me, it's almost more scientific is the fact that, you know, this goes back to me being younger and thinking I could make, you know, 
power energy balls well, and hand chakras mind. and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things that I was reading, like when I had dial up internet and had to wait forever for a document to load, and it was very valuable information because I didn't want to hit refresh. Um, that, you know, all these powers and abilities were more capable of happening when you're younger because your mind is more open to these things. Yep. But I also think in a stressful situation, such as a near-death experience, your mind reverts to that primitive thinking, to the flight or fl- uh, fight or flight scenario type mm-hmm. thing, but also goes back to, you know, like your mind is more capable of opening up and using a higher percentage of its abilities to see exactly what's going on around you. So that's why I'm honestly for, like, mind reading and stuff like that. And oh, sure. Because I think if you've trained long enough that your your mind is capable of doing it because we don't know what the full capabilities of right. the human mind is. Right. Because, yeah, whenever I go through, like, training training classes for psychic stuff, um, that sounds really When you go to nerdy. Jedi Academy. <laughs> I go to Jedi Academy. Um, they always talk about using your childlike mind and using your imagination. Because yeah. when you use your imagination, that's when you're able to tap into more of those things. Yep. And um, it's less. there's less judgment. And that's how you can kind of yeah. like know things. It's a very things. matrixy thing. Mm-hmm. It's the matrix. Don't try to bend the spoon. That's impossible. Yeah, it is. I only realize there is no spoon. <laughs> and it's already bent. That's right. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh. Yes, Aerie will see you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Oracle will see you now. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Chapter 9, Near-Death Experiences. Uh, once again, just a reminder to everybody that... Uh, you know, if if you're fascinated by this topic or you got your own uh, experience that you want to share, be sure to uh, comment on the you know post on the suempire.com or uh, the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you and hear about uh, your stories on this and what what you think about this because this is a very interesting, open-ended thing that you know touches a lot of people. And uh, I'm super curious about what's out there. Yeah, or send us a message if you're, if you're feeling kind of shy. Yeah, absolutely. You could send us a, an email or a message or whatever if you don't want to communicate open like that. Yeah. So. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if you have, like, a spooky experience, like, ghosts, odd experience, or anything that's, like, ha- ever happened to you, I mean, it doesn't even have to be on the topic of the, of, of the episode that we're even on. Please send it to us because I would love to read it on the episode and, like, share it. If oh, you don't absolutely. Mind. Yeah, if even you if share you're it, open yeah. enough to do like a, an actual interview, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that too. We welcome guests. Yeah. Yeah. That, live or pre-recorded. Yeah, whatever. Or if you're dead and you just need to send, you know, if you need to do an interview via Ouija board, we can set that up. Mm. Oh my gosh, I heard the best Ouija thing today. I'll tell you off the air. We'll talk about it in another episode. The best Ouija thing. Yeah, I like yeah. How you say that like it's like, I saw this thing on Twitter. <laughs> but it's, it's like... I saw this thing on a Ouija board. It was, yeah, it's good. It's Is really hashtag good. Ouija in your favorites for search? No, it should be, though. Nice. <laughs> All right. So uh, cool. thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Macabre Grimoire is a production of the SuEmpire.com. Learn more at macabregrimoire.com. Last night in bed